0: Australia has a new Minister for Women's Economic Security in Jane Hume. But with an enormous gender gap in lifetime earnings between men and women, the significant job losses for women during the pandemic, and some women facing poverty in retirement, it's hard to know which issue to start with. With me today to discuss what should be her top agenda items is Beck Joyner and Tom Crowley, both associates at Grattan. Welcome. Thanks, Kat. So, Beck, I was shocked when I first heard about the lifetime earnings gap between men and
1: women. Can you tell us the stats on this? So, the lifetime earning gap refers to the difference between what men and women earn over their lifetimes. Unfortunately, you probably expect that some kind of gap exists, but I was absolutely shocked to learn just how big this actually is. So the average woman with children today will earn $2 million less in her lifetime compared to the average man with children. So what's the
0: flow-on effect of this lifetime earnings gap into retirement?
1: Yeah, it's probably not a huge surprise that given we have a gap in, in earnings throughout working lives that this also flows on into retirement. So with lower incomes throughout their working lives, this means women are making smaller superannuation contributions meaning lower super balances once they do hit retirement. So to today, women retire with about one third less super than men and their retirement incomes are about 10% lower.
0: So we're going to talk about the larger implications of this lifetime earnings gap and how we should fix it in a minute and chat to Tom about some of the research he's done in this particular area. But one of the oft-touted solutions is to just raise super. So, Beck, why shouldn't we just raise super contributions for women?
1: So, you're right, Kat. There's been a lot of debate about what we can do to fix the gender gap in retirement incomes for women. And many of these solutions thrown around are focused on the super system itself. There's definitely worthy changes to be made to the super system, but unfortunately, in reality, they don't make a huge change to boost retirement incomes. So, one option that's often talked about is paying super contributions on government-funded paid parental leave So, grant analysis has found that this would unfortunately only make a small difference to incomes at retirement because it's often offset by lower pension payments anyway. So, for example, if you take an average woman who, say, has two kids uh, and takes two stints of mat leave in her early 30s, she'd only actually get an extra $73 a year in her retirement. Another change that's often discussed and is worthy is abolishing the $450 threshold for paying compulsory super. So the threshold means that currently employees actually don't have to pay super if an employee earns less than $450 a month. The idea of this um, policy when it was first introduced was to reduce the admin burden on employers, but this argument is now basically redundant since we have electronic payrolls and the threshold affects twice as many women as it does men. But again, it's not really the silver bullet that we're looking for because it doesn't boost retirement incomes all that much. So, analysis has shown that um, it would increase incomes for those workers that are affected by about $100 to $300 a year. So, the solution we're looking for is actually outside the retirement system and the super system. If we really want to close the gap in retirement, we need to close that gap um, in earnings throughout women's working lives.
0: Beck, that might solve the problem for women retiring in 20 to 30 years. But what about the women who are close to
1: retirement age? Closing the gap in earnings that women face throughout their working lives, that's a fantastic solution for those that are yet to retire for another 20 to 30 years. But we also need to be concerned about those women that are about to retire in the next few years. So single women who don't own their own home are at the greatest risk of poverty when they retire and they're also the fastest growing cohort at risk of homelessness in Australia. So the best solution to reduce the risk of poverty for these women is through Commonwealth Rent Assistance. And Granham's also done some analysis in this space and found that raising the rate of Commonwealth Rent Assistance by at least 40% will lift incomes of those women by at least $1,300 a year or about 5%.
0: Tom, I just want to turn to you because... You've written a piece uh, with Danny as well around the idea that this isn't just a problem about retirement and a problem about super and a problem you can actually fix at retirement age. And I think if you're looking to fix it at retirement, it is too late to fix this problem. So, Tom, I really want to talk to you about some of the ways the government can help actually close the lifetime earnings gap. And I think this is something that we believe is one of the big agenda items for Jane Hume as she commences her work. One of the first big-ticket items that gets talked about a lot is lowering the cost of childcare. Now, this is some simple maths that even I can do. If women can work more, they can earn more. So how do we go about this?
2: You're right, Kat, it is very simple maths um, and in some sense it's a little bit of a no-brainer. So we, we've certainly made the argument before that this is the biggest economic reform on the table. You're absolutely right, it's going to do a lot to close the lifetime income gap and also the the, the income gap in retirement um, between men and women. But it's just a great economic reform, so, so I'll step through some of the logic for it. Um, Childcare costs at the moment, out-of-pocket childcare costs, are consistently reported by parents to be the biggest barrier to the secondary earner returning back to work. And those secondary earners are still overwhelmingly mothers. Um, so, for example, if you take a family where both members of the family have an earnings capacity of $60,000 full-time at um, and the mother's working three days a week and the father's working full-time. If the mother takes on a fourth day, she's working for... an hour because of the cost of childcare. If she takes on a fifth day, she's working for free. So it's little wonder that this is reported as such a big barrier. The way that the subsidy is structured at the moment and the way that the incentives are structured in the system acts as a really, really significant barrier to working mothers um, returning to to take on as much work as they would like to. So we've recommended recommended that governments significantly increase the childcare subsidy uh, to 95% at the lower incomes and that they flatten and simplify the taper and remove the annual cap Um, The sum total of all of that will be uh, that 60% of families will pay no more than $20 a day for childcare. It'd be a significant. Um, decreasing cost compared to what's there today. Uh, and we estimate that uh, that'll cost about $5 billion a year, but it will add in GDP in terms of women returning to work about $11 billion a year. So, that's the sense in which it's a no-brainer. And as far as the income gap that we're talking about, it'll add about $150,000 in lifetime income for a typical woman. So, it goes some of the way um, to, to closing that gap.
0: Now, We hear a lot about people calling for free childcare. Why aren't you doing the same? Um, I
2: suppose in in one sense, if if a government um, said to us tomorrow that they did want to do free childcare, we would be all for it. Um, The reason that we focused on increasing the subsidy is to give, um, I suppose, a place for governments to start and something that might be a first step towards eventually universal childcare. Um, And so we think that that significantly reducing the cost um, by increasing the subsidy in in the way that was suggested would be a really, really great first step on on the journey to kind of removing these barriers. We've got a couple of other ideas as well. If if, if governments are looking for something um, kind of even smaller to begin with, uh, we've also recommended that, childcare-free for the second child and second child onwards, um, as long as all the children uh, are in care, Um, that that would be a really significant help as well, um, because I suppose we know that the costs are most severe for parents that have multiple kids in childcare at the same time. For, for, again, the maths of that is is really simple. Um, So I suppose what we're saying is basically there there are a number of really good steps you could take in, in this space that would make significant improvements. And I guess that's what we mean by it being such a compelling economic reform, because even if you do slightly smaller versions or something shy of universal childcare, you can still make a huge difference.
0: And it's one of the biggest items that we've talked about as an institute that can make the, the biggest impact in terms of uh, political reform. So it, it is something I think that Grattan is urging reform on because um, having women involved in the economy will in- increase our productivity. So, I mean, is childcare the be all and end all to solving all these problems though? Uh,
2: absolutely not. There, there's always um, plenty more things that that you can do and, and it's a very um, significant problem. So, so, one more thing that we've suggested in the space of kind of parenting is more equal sharing of parental leave between mothers and fathers. Um, and there's a lot of evidence that if you establish those patterns very early on, and so if the Commonwealth were to establish those patterns through its own parental leave schemes, that that sets patterns for, for more equal sharing of, of um, caring for children and the unpaid work burden uh, across the child's life. So so that's one thing that will make a huge difference. Um, but the, the the lifetime gender gap problem is, is of course, bigger than just Childcare. So, um, KPMG have done some work in in terms of trying to kind of diagnose exactly what's causing all the different parts of this lifetime income gap. And what we're talking about here with with unequal parenting burdens accounts for about 40%. Another 40% is this sort of unexplained factor that they attribute to essentially you know, implicit and explicit discrimination. Um, the last 20% is another thing that we think the governments can do something about, though, and, and that is the types of jobs that men and women do and the way that they're paid. Um, and so it, it tends to be the case that, that women are much more represented in, uh, for example, um, services like care-based jobs, so you're thinking aged care and even as childcare workers. And historically those jobs, despite the fact that they're very complex and very important, have been undervalued and, and probably underpaid. And so one of the things that we've recommended is a review of of pay in that sector noting that the government has a lot of control here the government either directly or indirectly has a, has a bigger ability to affect wages in the care sector given the big role the government plays there than they do in a lot of other sectors so this is something again where governments can make a big difference um, chipping away at this gap we're not going to be able to close it overnight but there are certainly things that the government can do that, that can make a, a big difference
0: and that had been something I'd certainly been thinking about because is how, how do you exert control over wage increases and encourage people to increase wages if um, it's private enterprise? But clearly in the care sector, there's a lot of public institutions, so you make a really good point there. I want to turn to this idea of the agenda. Where should Jane Kim be starting? What should she be looking at first? I want to know politically which one of these is hardest to achieve but could bear the most benefit, and where should she start?
2: I suppose it may not be a big surprise that that, that I say child care is is. Um, a really good place to, to start. Um, I, I think in some sense, politically, I'm not sure it, it would be that unpopular. I think that there'd be a lot of support for it, but certainly it would be um, very expensive for the budget. And, and, and I can understand why that might be something that that might give governments some pause. Of course, we've made some arguments that in the current climate, there's not a huge amount of reason for governments to be worried about taking on additional debt. And we certainly think, as I said, the kind of even just the GDP benefit, leave aside the kind of gender benefits. Just the, the pure economic numbers of it—that this is a you know great return on investment in terms of the the extra the uh, economic growth that, that it would generate. So um, there are some reasons that, that child care is a difficult reform to tackle, but certainly um, we think that that there's not really any excuse, and that the government should should do something big and, and ambitious soon.
0: Just for context, I mean, what is the impact that that change would have on GDP?
2: This again is is for our recommendation to increase the subsidy, so so that kind of first one that I mentioned. Uh, it would cost about five billion dollars a year, but we estimate that it would uh, improve GDP by eleven billion dollars a year. So that sounds like a pretty good deal to me.
0: Yeah, I'd buy that deal. <laughs> Beck, what about you? What's your take on on where should Jane Hume start?
1: Yeah, so I definitely think the Commonwealth rent assistance boost is worthwhile, even though, again, it's a costly thing to do. So it's estimated to cost about $500 million a year. And that's if you do it just for retirees. If you were to extend it to the whole working age population, it cost about $1.5 billion a year. So not cheap, but I'd argue it's worth it. I'd also argue there's plenty of savings to be made in the super tax concession space. So These currently cost the government around $35 billion a year, and they're expected to exceed the cost the government spends on the aged pension by 2040. So that's huge. Uh, I'd say targeting these tax concessions also help uh, reduce the retirement income gap in itself because they overwhelmingly they benefit men at the moment because men earn more. So uh, men currently receive double the amount of benefit from the super tax breaks compared to women. I think they could be much better targeted to provide the support to those that really need it. I think they're both great points because they target two specific age brackets, you know, uh, women who are starting
0: families or have lots of kids and trying to get back to work and women who are heading towards retirement or even in retirement. And I think if you're tackling them at both prongs, I think that's a great thing to do and a great place to start.
2: I think that's absolutely right, Kat. And I think the the other thing that I I will just – Add to finish, um, and perhaps just a little bit of encouragement for for not just Jane Hume but for the whole government, is that you can do both of these things, you could do all of these things, um, and I suppose um, the, the stats that Beck outline those those gobsmacking statistics about the size of the gap, that should be all the convincing that you need that this is a very, very significant public po- policy problem. Um, so far, despite a whole lot of government spending in response to the recession, we haven't seen much of a concerted effort at all from the federal government to do much about this gap uh, or much of a willingness to, to tackle it, there's another budget coming up in just a couple of weeks' time. Uh, we'll be watching very closely to see whether they use that as an opportunity to start to, to make some progress on this because it's a very big problem. It's not going away uh, without concerted government action.
0: Thank you so much, Tom and Beck, for discussing how to improve women's economic outcomes today on the podcast. It's something we're really passionate about here at Grattan. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow on your favourite podcasting apps, and if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, you can follow us at Grattaninst on Twitter and at Institute on all other social media. As always, please take care, and thanks so much for listening.